Hey, folks, Damian Mason coming at you. Before we hop into another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture, I want to tell you about Pattern Ag. Pattern Ag is a company that has pioneered predictive soil analytics. You know, we always treated diseases and pests after they were already in the field, when they were already causing us a problem. But what if you can do this proactively through predictive soil analytics? Pattern has a technology that through their technology, you can say, oh, here's the likelihood that I'm going to have soybean cyst nematode. Here is the prediction on how bad of a risk I face for sudden death syndrome or corn rootworm and a whole bunch of other diseases and pests. When you know what your risk factor is, you can more efficiently and proactively treat for the disease. You can do this by going to pattern.ag and figuring out what your risk factors are through predictive analytics. That's right. Go to www.pattern.ag and then get a hold of your Pattern Ag representative to help you do predictive analytics on your farming operation. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture. We are talking today about money in ag, a mid-22 perspective. Okay, we're going to talk mostly about at the farm level. But remember, what happens in agriculture is it really is always about farm gate receipts, farm level revenue, net farm income, and then it goes up from there. And this always is a discussion but what's it mean to you? You know, the people that listen to this podcast, a lot of ag professionals that also still have a tie to the farm and many people that still are in active farming or at least advise farming operations. And so I've got Jared Creed on here to talk about this very subject. Jared Creed is uh, the founder of JC Marketing and Ag Financial Services in Iowa. Uh, he has uh, been introduced to me because of my involvement with Extreme Ag, a very sharp guy. And we're going to talk about the money in ag and what it means this year. Jared, things look pretty damn good to me. Now, granted, they tell me that the tree, fruit, and nut people are hurting. Um, some in the West specialty produce are struggling, but in our world here in the Midwest, things look pretty darn good. Am I right? I would think that that would expand more than just agriculture in today's world. It seems like anybody in a manufacturing space, which that's ultimately what a farmer is, mm -hmm. anybody in a manufacturing space, as long as they have employees, are making good money today. That might not be every single business, but across the masses, I think that's the theme. By the way, the other thing, dear listener, because I know we're just starting this episode out, we're going to also talk about the interest rate situation, the risk that there is out there. And obviously we can do predictions on that, but everybody on Wall Street is doing the same thing and what that's going to mean for us going into 2023. All right. So right now, I think you just said something pretty interesting there, Jared. It's good everywhere. Um, I was listening to business radio when I was driving around. I try to do that as often as possible. And um, I think the number was, it was such an ungodly number. It's like trying to, trying to even understand it. 5 trillion, 20 trillion. It was such a number that was like, okay, of cash hanging around, meaning even people that wouldn't say, oh boy, I'm a multi-bazillionaire. There's people that just are moderately okay that have a few hundred grand sitting in cash reserves ready to do something with that. You know, and I'm not talking about Benjamin Franklin's in their mattress. I mean, they got $300,000 in account ready to do something with it. Half a million dollars, something to do with it. There's a lot of cash hanging around. That's what my observation is. That's what business radio says. That's what you're seeing also, right? Absolutely. I do wonder sometimes if that cash that is out in the population is 
a little bit in the wrong hands. I don't mean that in a way of somebody earned it and somebody didn't, but as far as being in the wrong hands from the uh, segment of the population that ultimately keeps a solid bid under the economy, keeping things running smoothly, running well. You know, we might sit here and say that uh, everything looks good right now. And I think in general it is. CPI reports continue to to allude to the idea that the consumer is um, okay with absorbing price increases that continue to come their way. Eventually, I think that runs into a bottleneck. Maybe we'll fix that before it really hurts the consumer much more. Um, but with, with the idea of the cash that is out in the U.S. economy today, in my opinion, you know, maybe getting a little out in left field here. I think I have you on here for your opinion, so please I, don't I think apologize. That, I, I think that 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 cash, what you're mentioning there, just the equity that is available in today's world, mm-hmm. that keeps us from going into some type of recession. Recession is the popular talk right now. Yeah, We're right. going to go from inflation on a Tuesday to a recession on a Wednesday. Give me a break. It does not happen in that fashion. And in the last 30 days, you know, you've seen a significant setback towards energy prices, the price paid at the gas pump. And those savings are probably the number one help to, again, that segment of the consumers that probably needs the most help that doesn't hold all that cash. Okay, so let's go back to the- They're the the cogs on the wheel. How about that? Yeah, let's go back to the way you opened it because I think that, and and we're not getting political or any of that stuff in this statement, but what you said is cash in the wrong hands. The point that you're making, I think, is uh, what's it take to be a uh, moderately high net worth individual in the United States now? I'd say if you've got- Five million dollars laying around. You're a high net worth individual. I mean, not like that. Live in Arizona, right? Okay, right. So if your net worth is five million dollars, you are a high net worth. And then obviously there's the beyond that, and then the ultra high net worth, etc. But let's just for the fun of it, let's just say that's the number. That person, household, business might have that five hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars laying around. And what your point is it's not in the wrong hands. Like they've stolen it. It's just that they're not going to probably be putting it into the daily infusion of the economy in any way. They're waiting for a next investment. There was pretty good evidence that the people that are about bottom 50%, you know, wall street journal article just talked about that. The average consumer doesn't have half a million dollars laying around, but their household situation is better. Uh, the article that I just saw this week was that uh, the savings rate obviously is coming way down, but they're still their cash on hand and their debt situation is still pretty good. So the consumer is holding up all right. While they may not, the person on Main Street USA doesn't have $100,000 sitting around to just put into investments. They're still holding up pretty well, right? Yeah, I think maybe the easiest way to say it is the average household that does not have that cash would still be spending similar amounts similar amounts at the gas pump and the grocery store like the individuals will with the extra cash. They might be looking for a place to put that cash. Some of them are, some of them are. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and everybody, you, me, and everybody goes to the store. Food prices, when we try to get told, oh, well, we're at 9.1% inflation, those numbers are not real numbers. I mean, I can go uh, again and again. A dozen eggs is up 40% just on year over year and even greater than that when you go back 18 months. 
Um, <clears throat> the consumer's holding up pretty well. The consumer's still buying our food. The farm sector is holding up really well despite high uh, input prices. The concern that I see and you see is this has a day of reckoning. We're all holding up fine, but we can't have this persistent amount of inflation. And at the farm gate, when our friend Kelly Garrett tells me it takes him five and a half gallons of diesel per acre farmed per year, and it's going to be the trucking and it's going to be every part of his operation, we'll extrapolate $2 more per gallon of diesel. That's 11 bucks per acre farmed, all of a sudden that has a real cost and it doesn't get you anything more. It doesn't make you any more yield, doesn't make you any more dollars. These costs eventually do just eat into our ability to have good net farm income. I would say it might be more about a soft landing to all of this than really a reckoning. And I kind of wonder if that soft landing has started to take place already, where I don't think you have to see some monster split from the expenses incurred to the revenue generated from the output that you are producing. We've seen that happen before, but you say a decline. You don't think that it needs to have a crash landing and nor will it have instead of it being, we're still making really good money with the expense ratios we have because our income is really good. Income can come down by, a significant amount and we'll just get to where we're still profitable, but we're not killing it. Yeah. I think that's a fair way to put it. You are looking at pretty much a back-to-back type of a record income year for several operations. And maybe that carries over into 2023 a little bit, just because these expenses, you know, diesel, diesel's had quite the drop here recently. Fertilizer has had quite the drop seed and chemical, a little sticky land prices. We will see, Really, the only piece that has maintained firm or gone higher is kind of the subject of this, you know, this uh, podcast here is interest rates. You yeah, know, interest so- rates are obviously higher back to the farm from a land and an operating perspective. Trick being, there will be a segment of operations back to all this cash that has been built that is going to be less susceptible to higher interest rates. And that just kind of takes some preparation work to get yourself in position to um, be a little bit less dependent on money borrowed for an extended period of time. There used to be a thing about farmers live on borrowed money because once you get to a certain size, you're always using operating notes, et cetera, et cetera. You've got land. Land doesn't, you know, it doesn't just crank out uh you know, revenue every year, uh, the way some investments of its equivalent would, but also you get the appreciation and, and, and all mm-hmm. those things. We're going to be paying more for land. It's gone up 30% in the last 15 months or something. We're going to be paying more for the land. We're paying more interest on it. Is it sustainable? I honestly think that it probably is going to be sustainable because of outside investment money that continues to come into agriculture as well, even with slightly higher interest rates, that my gut says something changes to the benefit of land valuations or interest in the next two, three, four years to make things not, you know, to, to, to keep the floor under the land market. How about that? I think you can see a softening. I, I don't know if sustainable is the right word, 
but again, kind of like we were talking about from a, a margin and cost perspective for the farm, I don't, I don't really feel like you're going to see just the bottom fall out of land prices. And a lot of that is back to just, uh, it, it certainly appears that our government is more afraid of recession than they are inflation. You know, pick your, pick your poison, maybe scared of their own shadow to go too far in one direction. I know I'm a little older than you, but, and, and by the way, I agree uh, that I, I, and I'm not, I'm not one of those, they ain't making any more of it. Uh, article just uh, that I read two days ago, Brazil's going to possibly bring 100 million more acres of farmland on if demand supports it over the next decade or so. It's an idea that they're not making any more farmland is really uh, not necessarily true in that regard. <clears throat> but also, uh, I, I, I agree that we're okay on our land prices. Believe it or not, I don't think, though, normally that it's healthy when something goes up 30 percent over a 15 or 18 month period um, when it's when it's historically not done that um, when it's historically been a couple percent, you know, really uh, two to five, seven, whatever that number should be. Um, the the counter arguments that, you know, just friendly counter argument is what's driving the land price up. It's back to all that cash. There's money sitting around everywhere looking for somewhere to go is the answer. Right. Yep. Okay. And until that money dries up, I I don't think that we're going to run the risk from the ag sectors not going to dry up right away. And I don't think that investment money dries up anytime soon. Even Main Street money, as we already discussed, has got, uh, you know, but we are seeing softening. I want to bring this back to you. Okay. Um, Again, I'm a couple of days older than you, but I. I, while I agree with you, I also know that there was probably people sitting around the coffee shop that were wearing uh, soybean themed uh, hats uh, in 1980 that said, ah, did you see that? They bought that place down the road. I guess this thing's going to keep on going. Plenty of people got over leveraged like crazy uh, back then. And probably they certainly wouldn't have gone and taken out a 16% loan to buy the 80 acres down the road had they thought it was going to plummet in value by 60%, which it did. Mm-hmm. But we don't have 18% interest. I get that. And we're not as heavily leveraged. I get that. That doesn't mean, the asset, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean the asset has to remain high. And I think the borrowing practices, the borrowing requirements are a lot different now than then as well. I mean, right, a lot we're, not as, we're not as heavily they're not leveraged. Gonna, yeah. They're not going to give you, a, it just depends on a bank, 40, 50, 60% the land value is what they're going to borrow. <laughs> you got to put down cash on the balance. Now, now, yeah, back then it was, you could do a little less. All right. I want to talk to you about the interest rates. And I also want to, um, uh, there, there was something else you just said before we went into farm ground prices. Oh, yeah, about the softening of the Main Street economy and then how that trickles back to ag. Before I do that, um, I want to remind everybody that listens to this, if you like what we're doing here on the business of agriculture and you want to know what's happening on some of America's most forward-thinking, progressive, success-minded, business-oriented farming operations, check out what I'm doing over at Extreme Ag. Uh, I met Jared because of Extreme Ag, actually, and his involvement with one of the Iowa members of Extreme Ag. Five uh, founders and now a bunch of affiliates from even places like Canada that are trialing products, doing new practices, doing experimental things on their farms, doing some pretty forward thinking things on their farms. And it's all free to you. Just go to extremeag.farm. There's no E on the front of it. Extremeag.farm. Check out, I've produced over a hundred podcasts for them, not to mention the videos uh, that we're doing on farm stuff. So anyway, check out extremeag.farm. Really cool information over there. All right. 
interest rates. And then I want to kind of go to back to main street. I live in uh, Northern Indiana, about 60 or 80 miles from here. They produce a hell of a lot of RVs. We're the RV capital of the world. And that is one of those things where it's feast or famine. And I use it as a harbinger. When black, when, when red wing blackbirds come to the farm, I know that it's starting to be on the verge of spring, but it's still the very first edge of spring. When the RV plants are closing or laying off people, I'm like, yep, another six months to a year, this is going to be everywhere in the U.S. economy. Your thoughts? I would agree with that. Okay. Uh, I think that maybe the RV industry, at least, I tell you what, we see that traffic over here in the Western Corn Belt. We see that traffic coming from Indiana all the time. With the amount of travel and I do, it's every day you see that. I'm sure I'll see that today. Uh, but, you know, when you try to relate interest rates to the consumer and such, the one risk in all this is you're increasing the cost to borrow money. You're increasing the cost of the dollar that the consumer ultimately spends on some good. And eventually there may come to a, a push and pull of what are they going to actually spend that dollar on? Mm-hmm. Now, with all that said, maybe in the background, we have a little bit of an undesired build in, you know, like credit card debt. I think that that number's starting to be advertised a little bit here that there is an extensive amount of credit card debt being built because we, I don't know, for lack of a better word, shifted lifestyle a little bit from the COVID experience coming in and out of COVID. Um, I think there was, um, you know, funds coming in to individuals that necessarily weren't financially impacted by COVID, I guess you call it. And those funds stopped coming in and the spending didn't change. It's like that old saying, you're always going to spend within your means. Yeah. So we had had folks that that government employees, a great example, but a bunch of people that had corporate jobs, they just, um, they stayed home. And their incomes remained the same. And then they also got infusions of cash from the government with all this alleged uh, uh, programs, uh, COVID relief, whatever, whatever. Um, And they not only their income remained the exact same, and they just got a whole bunch of new money given to them. If you were at a certain income level, if you were above it, you didn't Mm -hmm. get it. Those people, even if their, their savings rate increased, but their, they took the free money and blew it. And all of a sudden, that increased consumer spending. You're saying that they kept their spending up and now they started putting that on credit card and there's going to be a credit card bubble. Is there going to be a credit card problem? And and also the ag person saying, why does this matter to me? And I can tell I don't, them, I don't hear you. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to even be remotely close to an economist, but if we can bring good goods prices back down to have inflation settle, not go from inflation to recession, but bring goods back down um, and perhaps see continued growth in employment in the U S it gets back to my soft landing type of comment. Maybe we're not just going to sink the boat. Maybe we're going to actually have a soft landing, Uh, you know, interest, interest rates again, probably being the number one culprit on the American consumer's ability to dig out of a potential hole that they have dug themselves into recently. All right. I don't disagree, except that you said to bring employment back up, you mean to make people come out of the sidelines and work again, to bring work yeah, just, participation back up? 
Yeah. Continued, uh, you know, continued increase in payrolls. Okay. Increase in payrolls, more consumer spending. The, but the, the thing, to, tame in, to tame inflation and also, and remember to the person, since I'm a bit of an economist, inflation just really means demand for goods or even services outstrips the supply of them. Uh, and and that's that, that's really what's happening here because then all of a sudden <clears throat> prices can get bid up and trust me if they weren't selling any of this stuff the price would come down on it but we but the uh, consumer continues to absorb it the high the higher prices and including food so yes. before we get into the food things go to interest rates at the farm level because the farm person listens to this the ag person says why do I care about Main Street economy you should always pay attention to Main Street economy first off because there's more of them than there are of us <laughs> also they buy all the shit we produce everything we make there's mm-hmm. if there's nobody consuming uh soy biodiesel we don't need soybeans if they're not if they're not using vegetable oil they don't need our product Everything we make, they buy, first off. Secondly, they're still buying our stuff. There already is sign, our signs. Uh, it was either Walmart or a Costco. One of the big retailers said they, they are seeing a trade down among mid-level and lower shoppers, meaning people that make median income or below median income are already doing trade-offs to generics. You know, the old thing we talk about in meat, you go from steak to burger, burger to pork chops, pork chops to sausage, sausage to chicken breast, chicken breast to lower cost chicken to spam eventually. Is that happening? Yes, it uh, is. The answer, the answer is yes, it is at lower income. Does it impact us in ag? Well, of course it certainly can. It's a lot more than just the U.S. market though, too, for agriculture, I'm not trying to propose a cop out there, but you know, if the, if we want to build up the ag industry dependent on energy and food, the great debate, I think we're pretty insulated. I think we're pretty insulated at the benefit of worldwide markets. I think that agriculture does feel a trickle down effect the fastest in fuel. But to this point, our gasoline demand, even with the huge price jumps that we had was still pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, the meat sector, but you got to be careful to just, you know, reduce the herd in a cattle space, right? You got to be careful to reduce the herd in hogs and chickens and quite frankly, the margins associated in the poultry and pork industry, I'll, I'll eat pork out, but like the poultry industry, for example, they're just killing it, yeah. making tremendous amount of money. Which is, which that's being made at the processor level, not necessarily at the producer level, but yeah. Uh, well, yes. But I think the average producer is probably more concerned about feed consumption rather than the actual development of that food product. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shouldn't say the average, but more so of American agriculture is built on, we need solid feed demand domestically on all the livestock that we have in the States. Uh, and for that matter, you're, that talking, like, you're talking like a great, you're talking like a grain guy. You're not talking like a feed yard guy. If you're a feed yard guy, you wouldn't necessarily be uh, applauding $7 corn. You'd be really applauding that in fact that it fell down to five ninety three, right? Uh, maybe. Right. A farmer would be applauding in hydrous going from 1500 to 500. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? It's all about the margin at the end of the day. And again, we keep talking about food prices have gone up, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly whose pocket that's all going into, mm-hmm. but as food prices go up and on down the value chain, uh, does it matter what the price of corn is, the price of soybeans and soybean meal is? Does it matter what the price of meat is? Not individually, it's all collectively. 
And if the consumer continues to absorb those price increases, then I think that value chain uh, or that the value continues to get pushed down the the chain. And I get it. You're going to have listeners say, this guy's full of shit, but I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it happen any different in the industry. Cattle guys are making good money right now. Uh, the, the cow calf people will say that they're making almost nothing and that the packer is making a thousand dollars per, uh, per fast deer. So, um, depends on what you call good money, I guess. Here's my mm-hmm. question. Let's go back to a mid, we said a mid 22 perspective on money and ag. Let's talk about money and ag right now. You advise people that farmers give you money to be their CFO to be their mm-hmm. consultant on financial issues. We've already established that in general, they're doing very well this year. Uh, we've got some weather problems. The weather problems are going to probably still, if they, if they, if they have an adjustment, they're going to make up for it on crop insurance. The farm sector is making money this year. What's your advice to the farm sector from the standpoint of JC ag financial services? Well, twofold here, the last 18 months, we spent a lot of time, not necessarily preparing for an increase in interest rates, but basically identifying that this is a, a, a phenomenal scenario to restructure your business, building working capital by pulling out equity, perhaps, or just flat out accomplishing lower interest rates on long-term debt. 18 months go by, the world has obviously changed. Just before we jumped on this, uh, I was actually talking to a farm in North Central Missouri, had an opportunity to buy a, a large chunk of ground, and one of the first things out of his, um, you know, on his mind was, you know, I know interest rates have gone up, but if I could still lock in, I think it was five and a half percent, you know, in all reality, I shouldn't be scared about that. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be scared about knowing that I had spent 12, 13% years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And also knowing that if interest rates would drop back down again, the agriculture industry and other industries are going to have a chance to refinance once again, if it all makes sense and land valuations support that idea. So uh, the, that's kind of the land side that the, the land piece, that long-term debt at these interest rates and the current commodity prices and input prices, a 1%, 2% swing on land interest. Yeah, it adds up over the big, big picture. But I think a lot of that can be offset from different, you know, how much money is being put down uh, how did those payment structures look like? How many years am I going to term it out? Uh, I don't think that interest on land has really changed the desire or practices for anybody to this point. If anybody, it's maybe the investor in the land space, knowing that at a higher interest rate and an opportunity cost perspective, uh, maybe that drives up the, you know, the return that they need to generate from the rent side. Okay, now, so we, maybe we, more- we doubled the cost of money. We doubled the cost of money. You know, there was 3% money around and now it's six or whatever. We roughly doubled with with damn close to doubling it. Yeah, basically doubled it from zero. And we know what two times zero is, right? Yeah, so (laughs) you're saying- It's still so small. You're saying that it's still a fairly small number and historically it is, but it's still a real cost because all of a sudden um, for me to acquire that acre, it's at a record high- acre price. And now I'm also throwing another few hundred dollars a month in interest on that, on that thing. You don't think it matters? Uh, no, it, it, I'm not dismissing it that it doesn't matter, but also your, your young farmer that's buying ground for the first time is the one that's potentially most impacted. 
but the individual who already owns three, four, five hundred acres to a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand, whatever it may be, if you really layer that additional cost of this ground into the entire basket of own ground, it's so minuscule, it's not even funny. I mean, we've had producers that have came in. Well, we talked about this with Kelly a while back when he purchased a piece of ground or he was going to purchase, he was nervous about the purchase price. And when all the dust settled, it changed his per acre cost on land by like $7. Mm-hmm. It might've even been less than that. It might've been four. <clears throat> yeah. And that's right. using high land prices and higher interest. I get it. It does add up and maybe it can provide a sting eventually down the road. But I would make an argument that long-term debt is not long-term debt and interest associated with it is not the interest that's the risk to the farm. That might soften land long-term, but it's more so about operating money year in, year out, and the expense that um, you know ratchets up across the entire farm from just an interest perspective. All right, well then let's go with let's just go with operating. that. Let's go with that next because I've got an operating loan statement that comes here every month from Farm Credit. I actually don't exercise it because I don't need to buy borrow operating money, but it's gone up. It's gone up. It's gone up. It's gone up. Uh, that changes that changes profitability pretty pretty promptly. I go and borrow yes. a million. I go and borrow a million dollars every year to go to the fields or 2 million, whatever that number should be. And I'm paying twice as much for that cost of money. That's mm-hmm. going to be an issue. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm not dismissing that, but I also want to put it in relevant terms of when interest rates are moving, you probably have some volatility in different markets. And you are probably talking about a penny a bushel, maybe two cents a bushel in exposure to interest rate changes today versus where we were a year ago. That does not mean that you still can't save yourself that money. You can't go save yourself that extra four or five, $6 an acre of expense by being in a proper position from a working capital and getting back to talking about individuals with cash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's steering the boat in the right direction with funds, you know, here lately, you're going to laugh at this. We've talked about various government programs before since the last time I was on, guess what? We had another government program. It's called the ERP emergency relief program based upon 2020 and 2021 crops. A lot of that built on ratio, you know, bad weather, uh, except drought. Well, there is a significant amount of capital injected in farm operations just in the last 30 to 60 days. Mm-hmm. And the conversation comes about, what do I do with this money? And not in like, oh my gosh, I got money. What do I do with it? No, it's what's the smart thing to do with it? Do I pay down low long-term debt mm-hmm. or do I keep it as a working capital to keep myself insulated from what you were just talking about from farm credit, I continue to see those operating interest rate expenses go up. I don't need to borrow money from them if I have the cash. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's, it's almost, I, I'm not going to, I, let me preface this by, I'm not a believer. I'm not a disbeliever in all of this stuff, but it's almost like a Dave Ramsey impact, right? Mm-hmm. Pay down your highest debt first mm-hmm. or avoid the highest debt first. Right. 
And you don't, and you don't think that certainly mortgage, you don't think that real estate debt is the problem and you don't think that uh, operating. No, I don't think uh, in general, Damien, interest rates are very pivotal for the farm. It does move the needle over the years, but if volatility is in place in a commodity market, it can probably offset that interest rate to the farm is probably a more detrimental impact from outside market influences, outside market influences in the equity market housing market, mm-hmm. the consumer spending, the money that's in a consumer pocket, so you, not about the land or the operating interest that I'm actually paying. All right. So you um, you just uh, upset the apple cart for most people because you just said, go buy land, don't worry about the interest rate, and also don't worry about your operating note. All these other external factors matter more to your farm's viability and profitability than those things. Did I just wrap it up with a book report? <laughs> You're, you're halfway there. It matters. Don't get me wrong. It matters, <laughs> but it's pretty minuscule in the big picture. You know, we were talking about, you mentioned the diesel situation. If I spend an extra, you know, an extra $10 an acre on diesel yep. on my corn crop yep. and I raise 200 bushel corn, mm-hmm. it's five cents a bushel. Yes. It ate into my margin, assuming that the corn price never changed. Mm-hmm. But all these markets are not necessarily intertwined day by day, mm-hmm. but there is a connection between everything. When the pendulum swing in one direction or the other, uh, things are kind of moving in tandem. I know you got to be somewhere. I, by the way, I, I don't disagree. You know what? I kind of liken it to the, and I'm not talking about the poor, because obviously if anybody listens to my stuff, they know I'm all about cheap food for the masses has its place and, and all that. And I understand I went to a very blue collar, you know, background here. I went to school with kids that were, you know, didn't have enough food and all that. But I always point about my neighbors in the suburbs of Phoenix when I'm there in the wintertime will bitch about gas prices. And I'm like, uh, your wife just bought a pair of shoes for $300 and you didn't, the, uh, the increasing gas for the 12,000 miles you drive a year doesn't equal that pair of shoes. I mean, I get it. You want the shoes and, and whatever, and you expect mm-hmm. gas to be cheap. Same thing, you know, Starbucks, you go to Starbucks four times a week, yet you shop for gas. You shop for gas. Like when it moves by a penny, you change gas stations. It's really fairly insignificant. So I'm not, I'm wrong with that. Last thing that we didn't cover. Last thing we need to cover money in agriculture with Jared Creed of JC marketing and ag financial services, a mid 22 perspective. What else do I, what, what do we not say that we need to know? What, what did I not ask you that you need to tell me? Um, we still have a lot of work to do to determine if inflation is over or if we are going to gravitate towards a recession, personal opinion. I mentioned that earlier, you can't just go from one to the other overnight. And there is a tremendous amount of chatter with very, very little data points to back it up that we're actually going to recession. Uh, And just in the last week, I think you have shook that tree pretty hard in the equity market. You've shook that tree pretty hard in the crude oil market. And on top of that, you still have uh, underlying concerns from COVID. You still have underlying concerns from Ukraine and Russia. Uh, And the the pertinent to agriculture, you still have underlying concerns about the battle of food versus energy. And, you know, President Biden made another, um, you know, another firm sounding commitment to, no, we are going to continue to go towards clean energy. And about a month ago, before 
the G7 meeting, there started to be rumblings of countries wanting to slow down their efforts in the renewable energy space to curb food prices. Mm -hmm. That put, in my opinion, that started a downfall in the commodity market that we've experienced in the last six weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was the first, uh, that was the first real draw of blood. Mm -hmm. Uh, shortly after that G7 basically said, no, we're not going to give up those efforts. In fact, we're going to toss another $600 billion at infrastructure to accomplish this. And day by day, you continue to see articles. I think yesterday I read an article on Reuters about, um, you know, the cost or lack of funding perhaps to push towards a sustainable aviation fuel. You've talked about that with Peter Meyer several times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You continue to have resistance from all these different buckets that we're still dealing with. I, I don't think that we're anywhere near rectifying all those. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that we're out of the COVID shadow. I don't think that we're out of the Ukraine Russia shadow anytime soon. And I don't personally think that we're out of the inflation shadow whatsoever. In fact, it really wouldn't surprise me to see it get worse. From I, I actually think it's going to get worse for all the aforementioned reasons. And also I've been pointing out red inflation where government policies and regulations continue to exacerbate the effects of already rampant inflation. So I actually, I think we're going to have inflationary pressures for at least another 12 to 18 months. I think we'll have that pressure. It just might not look like it on paper. I mean, that's not probably not the right word. Reports that you're going to get, CPI reports and such. You know, I'm not suggesting that they're going to be massaged. It's just not going to suggest that inflation is as bad as it probably really is. Yet I, would, today. I would I would suggest that we've been giving we've been getting information from our government agencies for the last couple of years that don't demonstrate how bad things actually are. When it's anything that's bad news has been sort of glossed over. But um, mm -hmm. yeah. Just like I pointed out that the inflation rate wasn't really 8%. Ask anybody that spends money on uh, homeowners insurance, gasoline, food, rent, et cetera. All right. Let me, I want to I look up one quick phrase here. I was messaging somebody uh, last night. Japan, Bank of Japan had you know their uh, quarterly or annually meeting or whatever talking about interest rates. And I just asked, how can Japan continue to stay at 0% money? Right. How is it possible? For 20 years. And pretty much just like, you know, the guy says, I'm in agreement. I do not understand. For example, how does your currency depreciate 4% every year and anyone buys interest bearing assets at 1%? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this are we the shiniest turd in a turd bowl right now? Yeah, I, I, don't, by the way, I don't know. You know how that's that can't possibly work for long. I've never understood it, to be honest. I don't understand zero interest either, but uh, <clears throat> it doesn't make any sense to me. So, all right, you're feeling good about things better than me. And also, you think that things are, I think that we're a little, I think we're a little worse fixed than, than you think we are. And I think that we're going to have the inflationary pressure causes a lot of problems. But you're a little younger than me. You've not lived through the years that went on for about five to oh, seven. Hundred percent. Uh, a lot of this is uncharted territory for me. Well, we saw like five to seven years of, of high inflation, you know, and it got to where it's like shit. Uh, you got people that you know the working class, the the union couldn't negotiate a big enough uh, uh, increase for the the blue collar workers they represented back in the seventies and eighties. And then once they kind of did, the companies just split and went overseas. <laughs> so I'm telling yep. you, that's that's it was a bad it was a bad time. All right. 
If anybody wants to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Uh, phone is the easiest, 402-680-1744. His name is Jared Creed, JC Marketing and Ag Financial Services. He's a good dude. He's got to get to Western Iowa to go and give some advice. He's going to go out there and tell some farming operation, don't worry about interest rates. You know what? Just buy, buy, buy. Expand, expand, expand. And then uh, we'll see how that goes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not quite doing that. All right. Till next time. Thanks for being here, Jared. Thanks, Damien. Thanks for being here for you, dear listeners. Please check out all of our stuff. Go to DamienMace.com. And don't forget to check out what we're doing over at ExtremeAg.farm. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. Well, that concludes another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture. This episode was brought to you by Pattern Ag. You know, everybody in agriculture understands the importance of soil health. We also keep an eye on our soil better than we ever did through advanced soil testing. But what if there was a company that provided predictive analytics? Not just checking out nutrients and all the elements that are in there, but also could tell you the degree of risk you face with disease and pest pressure. That's right. Pattern Ag can do that. They actually can tell you, hey, you're going to have a real issue here. You can preemptively, proactively treat for corn rootworm or cyst nematode or sudden death syndrome before the problem actually starts costing you yield. Go to pattern.ag. That's www.pattern.ag to find the nearest rep that can help you start doing better for your soil. 